Okay, Luke chapter 9. Pick up verse 43 to 62 on becoming a servant. Now, most of you know that I also work with a ministry called Poyman Ministries. That means servant. Poyman means servant. And we're a group of really old Calvary pastors that we go and support in different ways churches. And what I do a lot of on our team of 13 pastors is I coach and train pastors. For the past year and a half, I've been coaching a pastor in Georgia who, when he called me, he's, he's in his late 30s. This is a classic scenario of who I work with. Young pastor in his mid to late 30s, maybe early 40s. He's been in the ministry for around five, six, seven years. He knows he's called to ministry. He's tried all of his ideas and it's not working. The Lord is working in some ways, but overall, he's not really sure how to manage the church, how to run a church. It's becoming more overwhelming. It's stressing out his home and his marriage. And he called and says, Terry, if you can't help me, I'm probably going to quit the ministry. That was January of last year. And so I started coaching him, which means that every two weeks we have a video call I have materials that I send to him and we just work through about some practical and basic leadership um, in a church. Um, he took to it really well. It, it wasn't that he didn't know how to do ministry. He just wasn't sure of the practical things of how to implement that in an organization, in a church and the different uh, the different departments of the church. And suddenly his church started growing. He was very clear minded. All of a sudden 30. Now I was already planned to go to his church. That's where I was last weekend. A few months ago, we planned for me to go to his church and then do a training session Friday, Saturday for all of his ministry team. And then he invited six more pastors from around Georgia and Tennessee. And then another part of our appointment team, a pastor lives in Florida. He came and he brought a pastor. So Friday and Saturday, I'm talking to about eight pastors and their teams, some of their teams. It just turned out 30 days ago, the pastor in Georgia suddenly found a building to buy and they bought a building. And so my weekend there last weekend was their first weekend in a new building. And that was all last minute. It just, it just came together, something the Lord did. And they are so on fire just to see what the Lord is going to do. And then after I spent the weekend in Georgia, small community called Dawsonville, about an hour outside of Atlanta. Uh, my wife and I drove to Tennessee, to Nashville, and I met up with a pastor there, um, Calvary Chapel, Nashville, and um, had a great visit with him. He's facing challenges. Churches just have challenges. It's just the nature of the ministry. Um, and yes, full confession, I went to a couple of music stores and played guitars. So don't have that judgmental look on your face. 
I didn't buy anything, but I certainly coveted. <laughs> so we flew home th Thursday, which was a, a few days ago now, but I still have a little bit of jet lag. Um, so when I get to go do this and I talk to pastors, I'm really drawing from all the years of struggle that I've personally had in ministry. It's not like I, I am here to save the day and I know what to do. And well, too bad you were struggling. The, the ministry itself is both exciting and it's a struggle uh, it, for a lot of practical reasons. But essentially, this work that we're doing together is way bigger than any of our abilities. The work of God is bigger than us. So there is no place for any of us to act like we know what to do because we don't. I mean, we know some of the pieces and we understand the importance of prayer and studying God's word. And we love people and allow God to direct us by his spirit. But how the things, how the elements come together and do we do this event or this event? Nobody knows. And here's the thing. When a church is growing and exciting things are happening, it's so easy for the people in the church to think they know how it's working. But when it's not going well and a church is really struggling, nobody knows why. There might be a couple of really obvious things, you know, sin in the leadership or they're neglecting teaching God's word or some obvious things but there are even some really faithful pastors and staff that might be serving and things aren't going well and they have no idea why. That's really the nature of ministry is the seasons of growth and decline. And so what I know without, without any question, some basic things is that God wants to work in Albany, right? That's not a mystery. These are some things I tell every pastor that I coach. God wants to work in your community. We don't have to beg God to work. And if you ever start to feel that way, you've got it wrong. You've got it backwards. That's the, that's the sign of stress in your life. God wants to work. He's the one that wants to work. Ministry is not our idea. Secondly, we have to remember that God has chosen you and me, us, to work through. Like it or not, as pathetic as we are, God delights in using weak vessels for his glory. And look around, that's us. It doesn't matter whether you have 50 years of experience in ministry or 50 days. If anything happens of spiritual note, of a godly work, it was all the Lord's doing, okay? And of course, we get to be a part of it. But to start to feel like we accomplished it, that's, that's a misplaced priority. And the most exciting ministry is when you finally learn that lesson and you get your ego out of the way. Because then you can enjoy it. 
then you can be a part of the work without feeling like you personally have to make something happen. That is an occupational hazard of the ministry. And that suddenly happens, that weight of responsibility suddenly comes to you when you suddenly become the pastor or the leader of children's ministry, or that when somebody, you finally get that kind of that title, that position, suddenly you feel this weight on your shoulders. And that's real. That's a real weight of responsibility, but it's really not our job to manufacture spiritual fruit. Salvation is of the Lord. The Bible says salvation is of the Lord. And so when, when we just kind of reset, we get our eyes back on the Lord instead of us. We say, Lord, what is it that you want to do? You've brought us together. And then we're learning, Lord, how is it that you want to work? What are the ideas? The Easter egg hunt, as crazy as that was. That was a way to connect with the community. There's nothing spiritual about Easter egg hunts, so you don't have to tell me that, I know. But the fact is, it was a way for us to connect with our community, and the Lord did add to the church from that. And there's lots of ideas we come up with in ministry. And so we're learning how the Lord might use the different things that are come that come to our minds. A big thing that every church learns and we are learning is not only that God wants to work, what he wants to do, how he is going to do it, but we're also learning how he's going to use each of you. You're learning that. What's my part? You're not just a passenger on the bus. We are all at some point discovering our place in the big picture because we're each a part of the body of Christ. You know, that first Corinthians 12, Paul says, we're all members of the body and each part has been placed in a unique place to make a contribution. And every member of the body is important. Every member. And we get caught up in who's the leadership and who are the special people. There are no special people. Or shall I say there are no people that aren't special. Because the analogy is our physical body that the whole thing works together. Here is a primary dysfunction of churches that I deal with is one is a no vision. They don't know why they exist. Another one is they don't know how to work together. We are one church. Now, we love being a part of God's work, don't we? Say amen. Okay, just go with me for now. We love being in the middle and where God is working. But the real truth is each of us struggles being a part of the team. In our nature, we like working independently. Because people bother us. Can you admit that to me? Amen. You said that really loud. I like that. (laughs) I'm just saying it out loud because here's the thing. People don't feel that it's okay to admit it. 
I'm telling you, and I say this in front of whole staffs that I train, you want to be here and work together, but you irritate each other. They'll look around the room like I'm, who are you talking about? And because we irritate each other, when we work together and love each other, that is a sign to the world that we genuinely are the children of God. Don't you know that? That's what Jesus said to the apostles. You guys are so annoying. I think I read that in First Flesh Alonians. Thou are so anointing to me. No, the truth is we do irritate each other. And because of that, when we love each other, as John said to the apostles, that is how the world will know that you are my disciples. So if we can't find out what the Lord wants to do here in Albany, we can't land on the right ideas for ministry. If we can't each of us find our place and our personal gifts, and if we can't work together, let me tell you, nothing's going to happen here. It's not enough to say God wants to work because he works through people. God doesn't need us, but he decides to use us. Are you with me so far? Okay. Anybody irritated? You can talk to Tanner afterwards. (laughs) And in that whole process, what it ultimately requires is every one of us to be completely yielded to the Lord. You might agree with everything I said, but if you are not yielded personally in your heart to the Lord, you will not find your place in how God wants to work. You might say, yes, I agree with it, but you don't really have the ability to then find your place and see God work because it's ultimately a work of the spirit. Now being yielded to the Lord is something everyone out of one, every one of us daily is deciding to do. It's not a one-time thing. Well, you did it last week, so you took care of it. But you got a bad attitude today. Every day, you remember said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That is a daily thing. I want to do it one time because I really felt like it yesterday. But today I woke up with a bad attitude. And so today my flesh is still with me. And so I again say, have to say, Lord, help me again, put you first. And even though I struggle with it, the bottom line is I do want what the Lord wants. I do want what the Lord wants. And so the more you do it daily, the easier it gets the more you tend to grow up and um, see how the Lord wants to work. My wife and I watched two of our grandsons yesterday, Teddy and Morrow. They are three and five brothers of my youngest daughter. We have three daughters. My wife is great at asking those little boys the right questions. And she asked them a question, something about 
um, something about, do you know what it means to ignore someone? Morrow says, yes. It means, my wife says, what does it mean? He says, it's when you don't do what those people tell you to do. He's five. She says, who are those people? Mommy and daddy. (laughs) He calls them those people. (laughs) What do you mean? Don't you do what mom and dad, well, when they tell you to turn the TV off and you just pretend like you didn't hear them. It's those people. I'm not like that at all. I hear everything the Lord asks me to do and I do it right away. Are you like that? We're not much different than, than our kids and grandkids. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Philippians 3, 3. He said, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. If you're serving the Lord long enough, you will get there. When you're young, you have a lot of confidence in the flesh. And generally, I can't help pastors who are in their 20s because they still know everything. I have to wait till they get into their mid to later 30s when they have tried and failed. Then suddenly they need help. And that's usually who calls for help. One of the problems that comes up in churches or in our lives when we do see God begin to work through us. Did you know problems come up when we are seeing God work in our lives? And that's what's happening in our passage today. The disciples are beginning to see more of the power of God in their lives to heal, to cast out demons. And that is essentially bringing out in them these bad attitudes. And so we're not pointing the finger at them. And in fact, all of these attitudes, there's four things that are coming out in the disciples. They are present in all of us. They are resident right within all of us. And it's good to learn what we are made of so we can watch out for these things. Time's getting away from me a little bit this morning. So I just want to get into these things. There's four things that are coming up in the disciples and Jesus has to deal with them or else there's not going to be any more ministry. The first one is pride. That's no surprise. Pride, pride I wrote down is wanting to be recognized by others. And you see, when God uses me, I think you should recognize me. Somebody needs to recognize what God is doing through me because it doesn't happen that often. So I want everyone to pay attention so we can all take note. Verses 46 to 48. Luke wrote that a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child, set him by him, and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives him, receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, you all will be great. 
Now, you all know that these guys, when they weren't doing the work Jesus gave them to do, their pastime was to argue about who among them was going to be the greatest. That's what they, can you, I can't even imagine the cluelessness of this group of guys when they're with Jesus, hearing him talk about being a servant, had the nerve to argue about who was going to be the greatest. I am disgusted until I see me do it. I don't do it in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) But the potential is there in every one of us. And let me tell you, it comes out, not when you're backslidden, but often when you're right in the middle of God using your life. That's when the flesh can come out. That's when Satan messes with you and says, wow, you're pretty awesome. God just used you, but nobody's telling you how awesome you are. Mark 10, Jesus said, whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we, if we all know the teacher is Jesus. We're the disciples. The disciples are becoming like the teacher Then Jesus says, I didn't come here to be served. And guys, you are following the example of your teacher. Our motive for being in ministry is not to get people to recognize us or to serve us. It is a primary downfall of pastors today. We all know that to be true, but I'm saying it out loud because I'm in the business. I'm, I'm on this side of that fence. And I frankly am disgusted by it. I have no interest in being a part of that club. I greatly desire the Lord to use my life. But it is often the most gifted of senior pastors that God seems to be using and churches are growing that start to think that the church is about them. And it is not. No church is about the pastor. He may be the leader. He may be the chief shepherd. <laughs> not the, the Lord's the chief shepherd, but the senior pastor we call or lead pastor. You're just the lead servant. But if it ever starts to become about building the brand and the ministry of the senior pastor, things are messed up. It is never. And I can give you a list of pastors who think it is about them. And it's frankly completely disgusting to me. And they will get away with it because it seems like it's working. It seems like it's drawing more people. Now I come from the land of megachurch, Southern California. 
and I was just in Atlanta, and that is a land of mega churches. Well, what's that church about? Oh, that's this pastor. It's this name. I, I just personally have no interest in it. And the disciples are learning this lesson. Now, you understand, it messes with your ego for God to do something powerful through your life and for you to remember that it's not about you. It's not about you. And so pride is there within all of us. And if it comes up, it has to be dealt with or there is no further ministry. There can be the pretense of ministry. There can be the putting on of ministry. But you are cutting short the work that God wants to do. The second attitude that comes up is jealousy. Jealousy, competing against or comparing yourself with others is how I defined it. Verse 49 and 50. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. He's not in our club. Jesus said to him, do not forbade him for he who is not against us is on our side. That pride causes us to want to control everything because if God's using us, then we're obviously the lead church in the area. It is. It is. Almost normal for churches to feel like they're competing with one another for the same people. There is no competition between us and the church next door or around the corner or down the street. We are all one church. And the advantage of being older myself, decrepit old man, is I've learned that lesson. Because when I was younger, I did feel, well, what's happening with them? And if God's blessing them, why isn't it happening here? Those are just the lessons of youth that come out. I, I, I'm just been doing this long enough that I'm just completely sick of that as well. And in fact, it's a sign of maturity for all of us to Rejoice when God blesses another church. That if, and here's what I've learned, every church gets their turn at growth and decline. Every church. No church is growing all the time. The normal pattern of church life is growth and decline. And so if you're in the ministry long enough or you're in church, you will see it. And it's no panic. The great thing is that around the churches of any community, there's a variety of churches. And do you know that God works in different way in different churches? So there is no, no sense in which we all should be alike or imitating each other, copying each other, wanting to have an opinion and judge what they're doing or them us. And I feel that we are part of the whole work that God wants to do in Albany. 
And I know there might be churches that have issues they need to deal with, but that's the Lord's business. And if they're discouraged, we pray for them that the Lord would just bring life back and all that's fine. I've been there. I've been there. The third thing, I just need to keep moving on. Let me read this one scripture, and for the sake of time, I might need more time. Maddie. 2 Corinthians 10.12. Taking notes, write that down. 2 Corinthians 10.12. Paul wrote, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wives. Did you know that was in the Bible? There is no comparison. There is no competition. In real ministry. We're working together. We are working together. The third bad attitude is a lack of compassion a lack of compassion, a harshness toward people who disagree with you. Verse 51, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that means the cross, that he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Now, all of that is racial. You understand? The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The disciples and Jesus are passing through a Samaritan area. They ask for supplies. The Samaritans said, get lost because you're Jewish. That's all that was. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command to come to command down from heaven? command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did. So that's how we deal with people who disagree with us. Obviously the Lord's with us and wants to destroy you. We're laughing, but I'll say this again. Do you know the potential of this kind of attitude is in every one of us? We're not any different from the disciples. And it often comes up in the good seasons when God is doing amazing things through you. Your ego gets inflated and you start to have opinions about other people that God didn't ask you to comment on. Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Obviously, Lord. (laughs) Obviously. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. If we're going to be ministering to people out there who have troubled lives. They might oppose you. Or might even come here and do things that aren't part of our regular routine and comforts. 
And it's easy to be critical of them and, and just feel like, well, they're messing, they're messing up our church. The reason people do goofy things is because they need to be saved. We aren't saving good people. Did you know that, people? There aren't any out there. And so the Lord wants them to have compassion on even the Samaritans. Yes, we have compassion on people, but not those people. Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy, I came to save. And so when people irritate us, we remember to have compassion for them. Even though you were never like that ever, ever. The fourth is just bad attitude is a wrong priority. Wrong priorities, essentially putting something before the Lord. Verses 57 to 62, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. But first, let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So these different people making these big pronouncements, I will follow you wherever you go. I am completely ready to be used by you in the kingdom of God. And then when Jesus says, okay, let's go, they have reasons why they can't do it. Now, the Lord never asked them, or in some cases he did, he'd go follow me, but not all of them. He didn't say, I want you to leave everything. And when these people say, let me go and bury my father, what that meant in their culture is I'm going to go home and wait till my father dies. Let me go say goodbye to my family. That meant let me go home and get my family's approval. So it wasn't, I'm ready right now to go with you. Let me do this one thing and I'll be back in 15 minutes. It's this big pronouncement, but some reason I can't quite follow through. That sound familiar? When I'm talking to you about every one of us finding our place of ministry, I'm not talking about always some position or something here at church. Well, it might be. Every one of you is doing ministry in your personal lives, to your own family, at your jobs, at the grocery store, at the restaurant. There's people around you. And suddenly the Lord is going to give you an opportunity right there to make a difference in someone's life. So I don't want you to think, well, Terry's trying to put the hit on to volunteer for something at church. 
If you want to, that's great. And we have lots of things to do. But the Lord's going to use your life every day in a lot of ways. And the way for God to use your life is by just being completely set apart for him. The very word holy means not that you're perfect, but that you've been set apart for a special, unique use, purpose. The vessels, the cups and the furniture, the the various things in the temple that were set apart for God, they were called holy because they were only used for that purpose. And so God wants our lives to be set apart from the world for his purpose. And so we are to be holy. Not, we don't, they didn't use a cup in daily life and then take it to the temple and use it for the priests. It had a special use. And even in its use, it, it might have been beat up because it got used. Now, I believe God wants to work through our church here in Albany. Amen? Okay, I don't have to pray for 40 days to figure that out. God wants to use every church here in Albany. God wants to work through the people of those churches. And here's something else I tell pastors. It's God who wants to work. And while we do not produce or manufacture the work of God, we can hinder it. God is the one that causes the growth, but don't you know you and I can get in the way? And it's so easy to say, well, if God's going to do it, he's just going to go ahead and do it. Now, look, he, uses, he chooses to work through us. And because of our flaws, we can get in the way. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect and God uses imperfect people all the time. But when God works, we're clear, we're clear that it was God who did the work. God who did the work. And what I know is the potential for these four things are in me all the time. Sometimes I think I'm pretty special. Sometimes I'm comparing. Sometimes I'm competing. Sometimes I might be a little condescending. I just try not to do it in front of you because I want you to think I'm pretty awesome all the time. Doesn't that make sense? What I know is that whatever God wants to do here, he's going to do it with us together. Not by you sitting passively and watching those in the ministry doing it. It's us. And it is my desire to help you grow and learn and discover the very things that God wants to do here in our church, here in this city, and in your lives. That's, that's kind of everything that is on my mind. Lord, what is it you want to do? How do you want to use this church in a unique way? 
And how are we part of the whole church in Albany? But what I want to challenge you with is number one, are you set apart for the Lord? That's your choice. And as I am teaching you these things, there are personal things in your life that might be getting in the way. It's not that I would point the finger and say, you sinner. It's just to help you see, look, you can't do, you can't be double-minded. You can't say, yes, Lord, use my life. And I'm still going to hold on to these old things. You can't do both. And then as God works more and more in our lives and in the church, some of these attitudes might come up. They will come up. Because we're normal. And when they do, we just recognize they don't have any place. We can see it for what it was. We all had group therapy today. We all know what these four things are. And we're just patient with each other. Let's work through it. Let's stay focused on the Lord and let's see the Lord just really change lives around us here in Albany. Amen. Let's stand.